Good afternoon. This is RJ with the IWS podcast, round two. And I have my man, Chief, here. How you doing today, Chief? I'm doing very well, RJ. How about yourself? Better, man. Better now that I have you here. Hopefully we won't have any of the, the issues, the technical difficulties we had, you know, doing these things virtually. Sometimes there's limitations with internet connections. So I appreciate you for being able to give this another go. Absolutely. My pleasure. So I, I want to jump right in. We were having such a good discussion and I really want to, hopefully we can recapture the essence of what you were describing. So we're going to jump right back into the conversation you were starting to give us a bit of your family background and your upbringing, your history. So hopefully you can uh, get some of that uh, intensity and vulnerability that you were sharing. Um, so the floor is yours, sir. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm just grateful for the opportunity to be able to go into my background um, and talk about my family. And I, I can capture that again, because when I speak about my family, I have uh, so many positive and hopeful and grateful feelings when I speak about them. So it's it's always easy for me to speak about my family. Beautiful. Um, so just, you know, starting from the beginning, I was uh, born to a wonderful family. Um, I love my my mother, my aunts that helped raise me, uh, my grandma, grandpa. Um, according to my grandmother, um, I was born in the house. And then according to my aunts, I was born at the hospital. Um, it seems more likely that I was born at the hospital than in the house, but sure. I, I'll go with my grandma's story if that makes her happy. <laughs> um, I was raised primarily by my grandmother and two out of my three aunts. And then the third aunt was there um, quite frequently, but she had her two daughters um, and her household to take care of. But mm -hmm. they, they were just a, as much a part of my life as my other two aunts and my grandma. Um, my mother had her troubles. Uh, she um, had some things that kept her uh, out of my life um, very early on. And then yeah. uh, a little bit later on, um, without telling too much of her story, she had some um, struggles with drugs and alcohol and then hit rehab. She was there for a period of time. And then she was sober for a very long time um, and then had some troubles uh, later on. Um, and then actually, as we sit here now, I am seven years sober, so that means my mom is eight years sober, wow. um, which is which is really awesome. Yeah, um, my grandmother, uh, my family, very very uh, strong Christian family, um, and that was a wonderful thing as far as them. Uh, I think being consistent and teaching me. Um, to be caring and things of that nature, all of the positive aspects of um, their faith. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, growing up, I used to watch so many people um, go to my grandma and talk to her. Um, yeah. So being raised in the church, when you have the altar calls, uh, the people would go to a section of the church and give their lives over to the faith and Mm -hmm. uh, my grandma would be there and I would watch the people go back and talk to her. And, and then when they come out with smiles on their faces and um, watching the other people in the church talk to my grandmother, 
uh, Mother Lewis, Mother Lewis, um, such a, a great memories. And that just, I think learning from such an early age and observing that kind of being open and talking to people and listening to people, I learned that I, I think earliest from my grandmother. Mm. Um, and then in the household, one of my aunts, um, I had two aunts there for a long period of time and then one moved away and after she purchased her home. Uh, but the aunt that was there the whole time, she used to always say, my door is always open. And that is something that has stuck with me for years and years. My door is always open. She says that to me to this day. Um, I'm like, I'm the therapist. My door is always open. <laughs> trying, to um, trying to take your, your, your job. <laughs> and she, you know, she's such a, a wonderful listener. All of my aunts are wonderful listeners. Um, and my grandmother, just so much love I can say and gratitude, like I said. Um, but I, in watching that and observing that open door policy and those, those uh, moments of them listening, that's where I think I really learned to be a listener for people and how important mm. that is. Right. Um, as I got older, I was uh, in my teenage years, I was still a part of the church, actually that same church, <clears throat> excuse me. And I was a part of a group um, and I had the leadership in the group was amazing. I'm still in contact with them today, not as much as I would like, but still in contact with them today. Um, and they were wonderful examples, again, of listening. And uh, one of the gentlemen, the founder of the group, uh, I remember nights that we would do our group activities with the church, um, and then he would give me a ride home um, and would sit in the car with me. And you could tell, I, looking back now, I could tell he was exhausted. I don't think I really recognized it back then. <laughs> um, but he was like listening to me for hours and listening to me being open about my experiences with the group. And then also some very personal things that, sure. um, that I was discussing with him. And through all of this, I'm learning how to listen. You know, and part of that group, and I say it on the website that there were people, even when I was younger, in my adolescence, adults and people my age coming to me and sharing things with me, personal things, because they recognize that, you know, this may be a young person, but he's listening. Mm -hmm. uh, this may be a person who doesn't have these varied life experiences that I have, but he's listening. And it is, it's so important. And I, I recognize that even now that people just, they need someone to listen and listen. Like you said last time, listen actively. Yes. Um, very important. And, you know, even today after the intake sessions, um, I very often have people say, um, after the intake, I felt so much better. It's like a, a, a burden was lifted off of my shoulders because I had been holding that on myself for so long right. um, and just to be able to talk about it um, was, was healing for me. Mm -hmm. and so um, that was, that's such an important lesson that I've gotten from them. And, you know, in growing up, part of my story is that when I was younger and my grandma doesn't know about this and um, it's, it's something that I have talked to my therapist about um, on a few occasions. When I was about, it has to have been 
either when I was before 10 or just after one of those, very young, um, I asked my grandmother something to the effect of, uh, why do we have to believe in Jesus or why do we have to follow Jesus? It was something in that realm. Mm-hmm. And she just, I remember her completely pausing because mind you, this is a woman, she is approaching uh, 90 years old, amazing life. And the entire life has been uh, in the church. In the, okay. Entire life. This Very is clear. From, from both. Um, so asking her that kind of question uh, is it's anathema. You don't ask that kind of question. What do you mean? Um, and so she, I remember her freezing and I remember the look that she gave me. It was like a look of like shock and like, I can't believe you just asked me this. And she said, don't something to the effect of don't ever question that or don't ever something like that. I can't remember what, exactly what she said, but I do remember how it made me feel. And it made me feel like I can never do anything that opposes or goes against what I'm learning as a Christian. Mm. remember that so i remember getting that feeling so strongly and then from there that led to years and years of hiding um who i am as a gay man um hiding the fact that when i'm um going out through life i'm thinking about i'm supposed to be this Christian guy, I can't be gay, I have to be straight, so I'm gonna to try to force myself to, mm-hmm. to, to be straight and have straight thoughts or whatever that is. <laughs> All um, right. And I, I remember hiding that part of me. Um, I remember uh, when I was in seventh grade, uh, I had a girlfriend and I remember her to this day. Now I'm kind of curious about, actually I had two, now that I think about it. Um, and I remember both of them, which is interesting. I wonder where they are today. Uh, but they were such nice young women. And I remember wanting to be in a relationship with them because I wanted to hide, again, hide who I was. Mm-hmm. Um, I even got kicked off of my uh, high school, um, what was I doing, track team, because I had shin splints and I was hurting. And I sat down where the girls were having their cheerleading practice. And the coach kicked me off the team because he thought I was looking at the girls and watching them do their practice instead of uh, back. I was like, mm, th- sir. Th- thinking you were being inappropriate. Yeah. I was like that. If only you do. That is <laughs> so not the case. Like far from it. Far, far from it. Um, and so, you know, that part of my fear was being rejected by my family, um, being told that I'm disgusting, being told that I'm um, going to go to hell and all those things, which Mm -hmm. did come later. Um, But at that time, I was like, I can't share this and I can't be open with my family. And so that really started me down the path of hiding things um, and just not being open with with anyone that raised me and not uh, even being open with myself because I wanted to hide who I was. Um, and I didn't want to, I didn't want that part of me to come out because I right. knew it was, it was sinful to come out uh, because it was sinful and disgusting and all of those things that um, I learned when I was younger. Um, yeah. I am so grateful. One of the things that um, can help someone move through or move past their symptoms of trauma is having a support team with Yes, them. sir. 
And so I'm grateful for the people that were with me in that church group when I was younger. Mm -hmm. um, the gentleman that I mentioned that would stay in the car with me for hours, uh, part of me uh, conversing with him was about, uh, our conversations were, were about my sexuality, what I yeah. was experiencing, what um, the things that I was, I was seeing other people say about homosexuals and um, saying about uh, me that made me feel like trash. And yet, even dis despite those feelings, I had people there in my corner um, that were on my side that said, we love you no matter what. And mm -hmm. that said, you're still a part of this and you're helping reach people and impact lives and things of that nature. So I don't, I, I'm, I wonder what would have happened if I didn't have that gentleman there. And then um, there was another, another woman, both of them, like I said, I'm still in contact with, both of them just had such a huge impact mm -hmm. um, on my life and making me feel like I'm not some kind of piece of something because I'm gay. I'm mm -hmm. still human, I am loved and all of those things. And so that was, you know, a part of me up until I was about, um, seven, 16, 17. And unfortunately, I, you know, I started, you know, I don't want to say it's unfortunate. It's part of my story, part of my history. Uh, when I was, I think 16, um, I discovered this site on the internet. Um, and I started using it to find people uh, with whom to sleep around. Mm -hmm. And I, for a period of several years, um, I was just like I, all that hiding and things of that nature and telling myself I'm disgusting. And I started looking for love outside of the church. And I started looking for right. it outside of my family because I was like, I don't think that they're able to give me. And at that point, it's like, I know they can't give me what I need because I'm gay. Why would they want to? And so I'm out sleeping around as I look back at it now. Um, putting my life in so much danger um, because I wasn't always safe. Um, mm -hmm. It was often at night. Um, it was often just me with multiple people. It, it, I'm the fact that I'm alive here today is, in many ways, is such. Uh, it's such a miracle uh, that I'm alive today because. I really did put myself in a lot of a lot of danger. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and I'm grateful that I'm here to to tell that part of my story. So um, at some point in 2007, I uh, discovered uh, that ge the gentleman that I mentioned earlier, he really enjoyed uh, this music from a particular artist. I don't know if I'm allowed to say his name, but um, he was in Philadelphia, um, okay. and I looked, I looked up the school that uh, he went to, and I ended up going to uh, Philadelphia Biblical University. And uh, in my ever-present goal to make my grandmother happy, and this is what I recognize it to be now, many years later, and many, many school loans later, um, I wanted to become a preacher man like uh, my grandma wanted me to be and thought I was going to be. Mm -hmm. uh, and interestingly, am not, and she still loves me all the same. Funny how that is. 
Very interesting um, how that works. Yeah, right. Um, so I went there and I was in Philly for, I think, from 2007 to 2015. Um, yeah, because that's the year I got sober. So I got back here in 2015. And I did the school thing. I got my bachelor's um, in biblical studies. Um, I don't use it, of course, like many of us that got bachelor's in something. Um, and then I stayed there to do my master's in Christian counseling. Um, and I got expelled from the program. How fun. Um, I got expelled in 2010 uh, because I wrote a paper and it was a cry for cry for something. I don't, I don't know. I think it was a cry for something because I was blatantly and bluntly honest in this paper mm. about my about my life and about the promiscuity. Um, and I remember that the staff um, called me into the office and there were at least two of them. And I just realized as I'm thinking about this right now, I harbored so much hatred toward them for so many years and I hadn't even th thought about it until now. I have no hatred toward them right now. I'm, I'm picturing their faces in my mind and it's like there's no hatred there. That is crazy. I never thought about that so much. Uh, but they asked me to leave the college because of what I wrote. And so I had no choice. I had to exit all of my classes and i left and i was out for about six months i think and then i got back and i told them hey you know i've i've repented and i'm never gonna do these things again and i'm never gonna you know be with another man again that was not true and mm -hmm. i got back into the college because i was like this is i have to do this this is a goal i have to do it and it was about a year later more loans later and i dropped out because um, at that point, I had started with Best Buy and I was making other moves in my life. And I was like, you know what? This just isn't. And I'm faking it. I'm not being me. Um, mm -hmm. At that point, I had started drinking. Um, I had my first, this wasn't my first drink, but this was the first drink that stuck and activated that, um, that craving for more. It was a chocolate martini, October 31st, 2009. And it was a Halloween party. And I was sitting on the end of a couch. I was like, I'm embarrassed to be me. I'm embarrassed to be here. These folks aren't going to like me. And I just was, I remember sitting on the edge of the couch, like with my legs crossed, pointing toward the door, like I wanted to escape because I probably did. And I uh, got that chocolate martini and was off to the races. Um, I started at first, and like we say in AA, at first it's a party. And it certainly was. And it was uh, shots for everyone. And it was, mm -hmm. let's let's go to this club and let's go to that party and let's get blackout. And oh my God, it is so, again, put my life in so much danger. Yeah. And uh, it just, it escalated. You know, after I dropped out of college, um, my grad program, um, I stopped going to the church that I was going to that was for multiple reasons, but at the end of the day, as I look back, um, I used what happened at that church as an excuse to um, excuse to leave and yeah. just do me without church. Um, and as I look back, I'm so grateful for 
PBU, uh, sorry, Philadelphia Blue Book University, which is actually now Karen University. I'm so grateful for the people that I met there because I, I did meet some incredible people. I'm still friends with many of them today. And oh my gosh, they had my back through so many things. And at the church too, so many opportunities yeah. there. And uh, one of the, the counseling program at PBU um, had taught me things that my later counseling program didn't teach me. And such important things of sitting with your feelings and, and um, sitting with yourself. And I never got that from my later counseling program. But Oh, wow. That's interesting. It, it, it was. Um, so I put all of that to the side, uh, all of that behind me. And I decided to just do Best Buy. That's where I started working with Best Buy. Again, another place where I met some incredible people, had some awesome opportunities. And um, I Best Buy and drinking. Um, and it was because these people at Best Buy, this is a, a, another reason I left the church and stayed away, is because they accepted me for just being gay old drunk chief. And it was chief, chief, chief. And it was, it was a party. And I was always invited. I was always accepted. I was mm -hmm. always hugged, embraced, all these things, not just because I am, uh, not just because they know half of me. They know that the guy that is just in their eyes this heteros uh, heterosexual biblical person right. but they know me as the gay guy who doesn't go to church drinks and does life and who cares let's love you just because right uh, that i don't talk to I, I don't think i talked to anybody from my early days at best buy that first store that i was at i, I friends with some of them on facebook but i don't think i talked to any of them anymore they have no idea they were a huge community for me, and I needed that. Um, yeah. the, that was looking back. That was one of the, I think, first communities that knew everything and didn't care, um, and wanted me just because I was a, a nice person. Right. Um, and. As we say in Alcoholics Anonymous, it starts out like a party and then it's a, it's kind of a party and consequences. So, and um, starts later on with me drinking to blackout, no longer just a party, no longer just the fun and clubs, the people who were a part of that community, some of them started to taper away because I became too much of a problem. And looking back, absolutely. Um, one in particular, we, we really, spent a lot of time uh, together and no idea where he is now. Hope he's safe. Um, and it just was a lot of consequences. And then mm -hmm. as it progressed, um, it became nothing but consequences. I was, I became a store manager and uh, that first store, uh, man, I was probably shouldn't say exactly what I was doing, uh, but there was a lot of drinking uh, when I was in charge of that store. Um, and it was drinking to blackout, drinking when you wake up, drinking to go to sleep, drinking, drinking, drinking. That's all it mm -hmm. was. And uh, some of the uh, sleeping around came back unsafe again, putting myself in those risky positions. Um, and it just, it spiraled. Um, and then I got my second store in 2014. Uh, and I actually was doing a little bit better. I was doing a little bit better 
from when I got that store February 1st, 2014 to when my mom had her stroke in August of 2014. And then I came back to Vegas and there was no pressure. There was no, no cause I left somebody uh, in charge of my store. <laughs> he did a better job with it than I did. <laughs> um, but I, I left him in charge of the store. And when I was back here for about two months to help see after my mom, mm -hmm. And when I got back, all of that pressure came back, especially when I came back right by the holiday. Um, so you have Apple dropping things, Samsung dropping things, and all these numbers, numbers, numbers. Oh my gosh, meetings, meetings, meetings. And all that pressure came back and that drinking came back full force. Mm, okay. uh, I, I mean, again, drinking when the sun rose, drinking when the sun set drinking because I was happy drinking because I was sad oh my god take a trip don't take a trip like it's 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 all kinds of reasons that I was just drinking just to exist just so that I didn't have to feel right. those overwhelming feelings of being a failure of not being good enough of not this yeah. just Drink, almost drinking for numbness just to, to completely numb myself that's what yeah. it was um, and then in 2015, um, I attempted to uh, complete, uh, I hope this isn't, I don't know where this is going to be posted exactly, but I attempted to complete suicide mm. um, two times, two times. Uh, it was not obviously not to go into detail, but I remember both times um, and I remember just thinking I'd rather be dead than to have to continue to exist. And in this, was, in this way. Yeah. Yeah. It was bad. It was bad. Um, and I remember being like the bot. I remember I, I tell this story in my groups all the time, my AA groups. Um, I remember seeing the bottles, uh, bottles, like so many bottles just all around me. It was like, I would just finish one and toss it to the side. finish one and toss it to the side and then just uh, grab another one and move on. And I was so, I was so miserable. I was yeah. just miserable. And um, I've, uh, you know, I, I think back to that time and I, I'm just grateful that how I tried to complete it, it didn't work either time. I'm so grateful that it didn't work either time because I am so happy to be here on the other side of that to be able to share this. Um, yes, sir. And so I moved back to Vegas and I, I stepped down from the leadership role of my store. Interestingly, you know, talking about support, my HR manager and my district manager at the time, they don't know how, I don't think they knew exactly how much I was drinking, but I remember them telling me that I need to slow down and that I need to take care of myself. Mm. And both of them were happy for me to step down and move back to Vegas. And not just because I'm a person, the GM of a failing store, <laughs> and not just because they could get a better GM in to replace me, which they did. Um, it was genuine. We care yeah. about you. And I felt that, and I have no idea where either one of them are today. Uh, but if I ever see them, I would be happy to tell them how my life has changed. 
um, so much over these past seven and a half plus years. Yeah. Um, so I moved back to Vegas, uh, 2000, uh, July, mid July, 2015. And I, um, moved back in with my family, hid my drinking, hid my sexuality, um, just was still in a state of hiding, 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 forever trying to find myself by going to church and pretending to be something I'm not, hoping that I'd become straight, hating that I was black because I was like, oh my God, I'm, I, everyone tells me, oh, you, you talk so white or you're blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what does that even mean? Why do I always feel like I'm not accepted in any community? I feel yes, like I'm sir. not accepted in the black community, not accepted in the gay community. I'm like, I always feel like an outcast. What is this? Um, and so just again, still drinking, drinking, drinking. And then on October 2nd, yes, October 2nd, 2015, I was my last night drinking and um, it lasted into October 3rd and October 4th is my first day sober. My aunt, I went to a bar, a bar I'd been to a bunch of times. And um, at this point I had been to two or three AA meetings. A friend in Philly introduced me to my first one uh, in 2014 or 15. And I'm so grateful to him. So grateful to him for introducing me. Um, I uh, went to a bar and ordered something I had ordered and purchased for myself hundreds of times before. No different. Nothing was different. And yet somehow I blacked out, made it home somehow. And I have glimpse of the, the ride back home, but glimpses, I should say. And Apparently, my aunt told me that she found me vomiting all over my grandparents' porch. Um, she had to clean it up. Come on. And uh, that I remember that next day after I woke up talking to my grandpa and asking it. I wasn't talking. I was like, I was in a frenzy. That's, yeah. that's the best word. I was in a frenzy. I'm like, if you want me to move out, I will. I'm so sorry, all these things I was saying. And um, he was like, we don't want you to move out. We just want you to stop. as pops for you. Um, he was an amazing man. He was an amazing man. Um, and it just, something about that one, because I've had some, I've had some, I mean, I've been on the side of the streets before. I've been glasses over there wallet and keys over there i've been in some situations passed out on the side of a bank oh my god i have been in some situations mm -hmm. um it's sudden embarrassing situations people that are like don't come back kind of situations you're kicked out of this club but my friends are there how am i gonna get home kind of situations like i've been in some bad situations this one this was it i think it was the disrespect to my grandparents that mm. that really was the thing like the disrespect to these people who take care to these people who took care of me uh, from diapers uh, yeah. to, uh, to have this, to see me in that state. Um, I think that's the thing that did it for me. And so um, 
I found uh, an A group in in Vegas at the Gay and Lesbian Center, and talk about a support group. Whew. These folks, I'm not in too much communication with them now, but what an incredible support group. Um, the stories they can tell of my early days in AA, I was like, do I have to stop drinking? Can I just like slow down a little bit? Can I just drink a little bit? Which for some people is an option. Some people can slow right. down. Some people can, you know, drink a little bit, whatever. More power to you. That's not my story. That is not my story. I, yeah. I do... I do too much with energy drinks. I used to have cans and cans, just like the bottles before, but now I was replaced with cans and cans of energy drinks. I yeah, mean, yeah. Red Bull, y'all owe me some money because I I was a Red Bull fiend. Um, but it, so it just, I found this AA group and I am so grateful for this, for this AA group. Um, I was with them. You're not moving. Can you still hear me? Yes. Okay. I don't know. Something happened. It said something. Something was wrong with the signal. It looks okay. Wanna... My... It seems okay. Okay. It seems okay. Okay. What's the last thing you heard? Uh, you were just talking about uh, following up from the, the AA meeting. And then it yeah. you know, kind of falls out. Yeah, yeah. So, so just a, a wonderful group of people, and um, I, I started going there in October, I think October or November, or something like that, of 2015. And um, they were a group that really took me in from day one. Uh, there are these two young ladies that uh, just be, and this uh, another gentleman also that befriended me, and they were my support. I mean, call them whenever I needed, um, invited me to birthday things. And they really showed me that I could have an incredible life outside of alcohol. I could have an incredible life sober. Um, and I remember back when I was drinking, I was like the man of the party is so funny and fun and all that stuff. I could still that be that way sober. I didn't oh, know yeah. that. I did not know that. I think, I think we get that confused sometimes because it's it's easier, right? When you when you have the substance in you, because it it just sort of you know lowers the inhibitions, makes it a little more comfortable to engage with people. But then you might think, okay, well then I need that in order to become that type of person. Absolutely, and I I thought until then that I needed that to be to be chief, 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 and I eventually I came to realize that I can just love myself and all of that, but that still took years to, for me to get to where I am now. Of course. Um, so I was, uh, still at Best Buy, but at a step down role, no pressure. Well, I won't say no pressure, much less pressure. Um, and I was grateful for the GM that took me in here at my first store here. Uh, cause he was like, why does this GM want to step down to this role? Like what's going on? Um, but he took me back and he's an awesome guy. Um, he eventually moved and the GM that took over for him is a huge part of why I'm a therapist today. Um, wow. Yeah, at some point, I stopped participating uh, in AA. I stopped talking to my sponsors, stopped talking to other people. I was still extremely depressed because as I look back now, um, doing everything that I'm doing with AA, but still not going 
full throttle with the program and still mm-hmm. hiding who I am. And then, um, and part of it also still working with Best Buy and not happy, excuse me, not happy in the role that I was in. Um, I just was, I was miserable at Best Buy after I came back. And that GM, he pulled me to the side. He's also the GM. I teach um, all of my clients and friends to assume positive intent. Um, mm. and, and my boyfriend loves to remind me, aren't you supposed to assume positive intent? I'm, and I look at him, I'm like, thank you. I'm like, I taught you that. Good, good skill to be aware of, right? So we're not right. always assuming, you know, the worst in people. Right. I, 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 I love it. I love to you utilize what he taught me in that, in that time with him. But he took me to the side and he's like, Chief, I believe in you. I believe in you, but I also know that you're miserable. And even though I want to see, I don't know exactly what he said, but it left me with the feeling of, even though I want to see the best for you and I want you to thrive here, I don't think you want to be here. And it wasn't like one of those, just get out of here so I can hire someone else. I right. never, I, again, just like the other district manager before him, I never felt that way. I felt like you genuinely want to see me do better and be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, he and I are actually still in contact today. We do a little bit of business together on the side. Um, and so he encouraged me to go back to school. And I mean, me being a therapist now, I attribute that, like, I tell him like 70% of that is because of you. Um, mm-hmm. And so I looked for my, my school options and um, I landed on the school that I went to. And I'm grateful for this school. Um, I still feel like the school at PBU taught me some additional things that this one didn't. But right. this, this is the one where I got my master's from. I graduated with my master's in clinical mental health counseling in May of 2019. And I graduated with my um, drug and alcohol uh, master's in December of 2019. This is 22, right? Yeah, so December yeah. 2019. Um, yeah. And so I did my internship, um, and the the the, the post grad one or the pre grad. Um, you, so, you know, usually, usually we have to do both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did um, my student internship uh, at various um, agencies here in Vegas, and I was gotcha. grateful for um, the opportunities that I've had during my student internship and state internship, and it's gotcha. so. It's so funny. I try to live my life, not, let me just say it first. I try to live my life to be as polite and kind to people as possible because you never know where in the world you may meet these people again. Same. And I don't do that to gain something. It's just, first of all, just be kind, first of all. It's, um, it's an easier way of being, I would say. I would, I would agree with you. Um, but a friend of mine from um, high school, high school, yeah. She, uh, she and I have remained friends to this day. We're also doing business on the side. And um, as you get up, as you get older, you start doing businesses and things like that. Uh, and she introduced me to someone from high school who I knew in passing, who had an, ha, ha, has an agency and she was able to take me on as a student intern. Wow. And this was at a time where I was like, how are things gonna work? I was at one agent, two different agencies that got shut down. Um, and I was just like, what is going to happen? And I was able to, I went to another agency and I was so excited because I'm like, they have so many therapists here and they have 
all of these different programs. I'm going to become a this and a that. It's going to be amazing. They had to let me go, unfortunately, because they couldn't come to an agreement with my school. I was like, ugh. So I was terrified. And then I was able to get into that agency from a woman who knew me in high school. I'm like, it's, what? It's amazing. It's amazing how sometimes those things come full circle. It was absolutely amazing. And so um, I finished my student internship there. Um, and then, yeah, and then I got my, um, that's right, I finished my student internship and then I got my state internship. Um, and then that's when they started to pay me as an intern. Um, and then, which was awesome, a paid intern, that was fantastic. So I'm so grateful for that. Um, and then I got, I eventually got my, um, that was 2017. And then in 2000, and, no, oh my gosh, I got my years mixed up. Uh, that was 2020. That fantastic year. Don't we all just love 2020? Oh, we're going to get to that. Um, and yeah, then that. I got my full, uh, my full license last year. Yeah, last year, 21. Um, and I didn't, I never finished pursuing my drug and alcohol license. Um, Part of the thing that I wanted to do when I was younger was to be a full, li fully licensed mental health, fully licensed drug and alcohol. I'm only halfway to my goal. I plan on finishing that someday. And I opened up my private practice. Um, actually, I bought my first house or closed on my first house and opened my private practice both December 2019. Um, wow. And that was after, I mean, just years of sobriety, years of mm -hmm. work in the program. Um, when I did finally start working the program again, um, I started looking in, inward so much more. And those feelings of, a lot of those feelings of I, I hate myself and uh, there's nothing good about me, I'm not good enough, this, that, and the other, those mm -hmm. feelings just started to fade away slowly but surely. Yeah. Um, it, it, they came back a little bit because I tried to enter the Navy and I couldn't because I have a birth defect that was just outside of their limits. I was like, come on. Um, I took the ASVAB and everything. I was like, oh. Yeah. Um, so those negative feelings started to come back a little bit. But over time, uh, they have melted away. And I can say, as I sit here now, having been in business for a while, um, having been sober for seven and a half years at this point, um, and just the life that I live right now, it's 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 incredible. I've had some ups and downs, of course, as everyone sure. does. Uh, I really fell for someone um, in sobriety. Uh, he was also sober, uh, and he uh, unfortunately suddenly passed away um, in 2020, uh, and that was that was very that was one of the most painful things I've ever ever experience i shut down but i'm grateful that i wasn't i still have community which i kind of walked away from because of grief yeah um, but i remain sober throughout all of that beautiful and was able to meet my current partner who's an amazing person um and the dog and uh as i sit here today i am so grateful for those experiences the good and the bad, because if not for them, and if not for my family, who I have an amazing relationship with today, mm -hmm. uh, I, I just, I wouldn't be where I am 
physically, but also mentally and emotionally. I sit here, a man who can look in the mirror and say, I love you. Um, I can look, also look at myself in the mirror and say, you know what? You're great the way you are, but mm -hmm. where you are in life and business-wise, you can be doing better. How can we do better? Um, and so it's, it's the mindset that I have today. Yeah, It's just so different, and I'm so happy for it. Man, number one, before I even start to give your remarks, thank you so much for the level of vulnerability, um, truly, because I know how difficult it is for many of us especially a lot of the environments that we come up in to even feel, feel comfortable or be willing to share. And I honestly feel like, man, you just bared your soul to me and to the audience. So thank you so much for even being willing to go there. I think it's a beautiful example, especially for those of us that are clinicians, um, how powerful it is to hear one's story. And really, you know, you, not only did you hit like, two to three of my questions without me even had to having to ask, you just fluidly went there, but you really tied it together in such a way to show not only the adversity that you had to go through, you know, and I want to touch on some of the things you said, man, just to make sure the audience caught all that. Yeah. You're talking about your sexual identity um, environment you grew up in growing up in a more, we could say perhaps rigid religious environment being Christian, a lot of black people, I would say, come up in environments like that where we might feel it's very inflexible in terms of things like sexuality and having to hide, hide oneself. The, the stresses and the pressures of graduate school, of college as a whole, wow. and then you not being able to be congruent with who you were, right? Like having to mask that part of yourself. So then I imagine it's even more triggering because it wasn't like it was like a, you know, quote unquote, secular institution. You went there because of the religious component. So then that can also be triggering because like, I can't fully be myself, yeah. as you mentioned. And then the stresses of being a, a manager of a large uh, business like Best Buy, driving you to utilize a substance like alcohol and recognizing that it was getting, you were kind of losing yourself within that. Mm -hmm. But then throughout, throughout that, and despite that, having good people around you that still saw your worth and that still saw your value and try to remind you of that yeah. to get you back on course. Absolutely. So, so taking you from the East coast, basically to the back to the West coast in Vegas yeah. and seeing you navigate those mm -hmm. different challenges to get to where you are today and then being willing to share a bit of that both with, I'm sure with your clients, maybe when appropriate, and then also here in this moment with people that, I can only imagine, only imagine, can resonate with a lot of your story. So yeah. I genuinely appreciate you you going there. And um, it's funny having these conversations. Um, the not the not the last one, but the the one before that. Um, it was actually a guy that I went to school with myself here in Orlando, and we talked about his own journey over the last couple of years, working particularly within the black community and with black men, learning to appreciate more of the level of transparency that at times is needed because they need to see it within us, you know, yeah. because of a lot of the experiences that we go through that's uniquely part of the black experience as men. So talking about that, and then my most recent one, the one I did actually right before you was another man that identified like you, grew up in the church, also as a gay black man, 
uh, also went to school, got his master's in divinity and uses a bit of that in his practice, but not, not exclusively just aspects. Usually when somebody also identifies within the Christian faith and, uh, it's, but it's interesting because you talked a lot about acceptance and identity, right? And I think deep down, we're all always striving for that. Somebody to, to lend their ear, to allow you to be your most authentic version of yourself and not make you feel bad or guilty for the things that you share and the experiences that you engage in. Like you talked about the risky behavior that you were doing when you were sort of finding yourself, right? And yeah. I don't, I don't think that's any different than a lot of those of us that are heterosexual that us like maybe sleeping with women and trying to figure out what we want. I don't really look at that as any different, but being able to say that, Hey, that's okay. That you chose to do that. That was a part of your journey. That was a part of your experience. Yeah. And for me, I certainly want to encourage us to always find and be striving for determining who we really are so that we can find and really embrace those aspects and maybe those experiences and those people that help us to merge those together to live our most authentic version of ourselves. But it takes time, right? It's definitely not one of those things that we hit very quickly. And so I think you being willing to share that and even some of the other stories that I've been fortunate enough to hear, both from clients and other professionals like you, I think it will really be appreciated by others who will, again, will either watch or listen to this and really understand that, man, even therapists go through those types of things, <laughs> right? Even, oh, even, yeah. he, even he, man, I just listened to what he said and he described a lot of challenge a lot of challenge, a lot of hardship, but he also talked about a lot of the high moments and look at him now, look at this brother now and what he's doing and, you know, nothing but hats off and salutes to you, man, because number one, it's hard to acknowledge these things. You know, a lot of times I feel that we, we showcase a lot of the things that we do well and a lot of the upside, a lot of the positive, but we don't want to acknowledge and talk about the, th the harder moments, being in the moment, being in touch with our emotions, as you said, even when they're not as good, even when we're feeling low, even when we are having ideations about not being here anymore. And number one, I'm grateful that you're here. I know the community definitely needs you. And I hope that we can continue talking about the totality of our lived experience, not just the highlight reel that looks good, perhaps on social media, but also talking about the other moments that are and were of extreme challenge, but that help us and led us to get the help that we needed, maybe working with a professional like yourself to be in a more stable place in our lives and a little more optimistic for the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I love uh, the work that I do because I'm able to help people make a whole different, whole shift in their lives. Mm -hmm. And they move from thinking that there's no way that my life can change. There's nothing good that can happen. This is always going to be the way that it is. I'm like, you know, I don't know if you remember the old slogan. I don't even know if it's still around, but um, it gets better. Yeah. I, I, I remember seeing those on posters. Absolutely. Seeing it just everywhere. It gets better. It gets better. It gets better. Um, and it just being on 
this side of my life, mm -hmm. I can say that for me, things got better. Things yeah. got so much better. And that was in large part because of the incredible support system that I had around me. Um, I think it was in, in large part because of uh, the years that I've spent going to therapy. Um, yes, sir. Just, just what, just all of those components together are how my, I've gotten to this point, how things for me have gotten better. I hope that people, if nothing else, I, I shared with you before, I did a, a radio interview a couple of days ago. And one of the things that I really hope I made clear is that reach out, reach out to um, a therapist, reach out to a support system of something because you don't have to keep all of the, the hurt and the pain inside. Yes, sir. You can reach out for help. There are people who care. There are people who are trained um, and who want to help, to help you heal. Yeah. And to, to realize that there is hope. There is hope yeah. and it gets better. Absolutely. I'm going to second that. I'm actually going to, I'm going to go ahead and do a quick little PSA because I, I support that hundred percent. And we talk about that a lot on this channel and even in the interviews that I have done so far, we want to make it abundantly clear for anybody out there that's struggling, that's having any hardship, or maybe you're keeping a lot of things inside and you're not used to having a community of support or anybody else to engage with. That is precisely what therapists can do. That is why myself and Chief are here and other brothers and sisters out there of all backgrounds who do this type of work, because we want you to understand that you don't have to go through these journeys alone. It is important to recognize if something is wrong, to start reaching out for help, definitely sooner rather than later, because then you can start that path to healing as Chief was just describing, and you can actually start feeling better and get to the other side of it. But the sooner we start, you know, the sooner that we can get there. So. I 100% second that. And I would only hope that any of us that do this type of work would also concur with that point. Because um, I think a lot of us, not uniquely, but many of us that do this type of work have gone through different and various challenges in our lives. Not that our method is the only method to overcome those challenges, but it is a way. It is an alternative viewpoint. It is a perspective. And I think when you're in the thick of it, it's hard to imagine anything like you were talking about. It's hard to imagine anything other than that, other than despair, other than hardship, other than heartache. And then we can maybe give another side, hey, I was in a similar position as you. These are some of the things that I did that helped me to get over it, like going to AA, like finding community, like being able to connect with family or friends perhaps. So we definitely wanna make sure that that is paramountly clear to anybody who's listening. Yeah, now, I do want to I do want to ask you, because, like I said, you did cover a few of my questions so far in your experience now practicing and, you, you know, however far back you want to go. What has your experience been like being a black male therapist in the field? Because we know that we are a much smaller minority within this working profession. Mm -hmm. I've been called a unicorn mm. on multiple <laughs> occasions. I'm like a unicorn um, because apparently we are just very rare uh -huh. um, in this field. And I, I never realized that more 
than when I go to conventions or when I go to trainings and I look around at the sea of people and not a lick of color in sight. <laughs> I'm like, man, or if there is, there's like a dollop here or there. Yeah. Um, we're, then, we're kind of sprinkled in. We are like, wow. And then um, you, you look for a men, uh, black men, and there's so few. Um, I did a training very recently and you could, it's the same situation. It, it was all with it, all with it, yeah. period, point blank. And I was like, well, at least I'm here. Um, so it's, it's been a very, it, it's been a very interesting experience with that because um, I've had people come to me, especially at the agency where I did my student internship because mm. um, the, it was very uh, representative of African-Americans. So they're the CEO is African-American. Um, most oh, of the therapists uh, were uh, African-American. I don't know what the demographic is now, but okay. at least while I was there. And so I did have quite a few people coming to me um, looking for um, a black male therapist, specifically yeah. for their sons. Um, so I worked with a few um, young men, uh, black men, uh, men, young men of color, actually, because I worked with a few other outside of uh, black pardon me and then also at my current agency um i my current agency is the one where i finished up my state internship and they've been kind enough to let me stay um and so i've seen some people who have been looking for specifically for a black male therapist um and then also in my private practice right um, i've had quite a few black men come to me because they're looking for a black male therapist um, and I've heard time and time again, we've been looking, we've been looking, we can't find. Mm -hmm. um, I've gone through the names on my insurance because um, the insurance people can give you like a form or something. And here's all the therapists in your area. We've gone right. through, we've gone through that paper and we haven't found any. And then we looked for you and we Googled you. Um, in my Google ads, you can see when I look at the things behind the scenes, yeah. you can look and see that there are people who are typing in um, black male therapist, male therapist, black therapist, and things of that nature. Like, like, like the keywords. Yes, exactly. Um, the group who taught me that will be very angry to know that I forgot that term. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so looking at those, at those key, key terms and looking at who's looking for a black therapist and it, that mm -hmm. it's quite frequent that I see that typed in, um, yeah. and I still, and I, and I imagine that I'm going to continue to see an increase as as mental health is, be, in my eyes, becoming more um, thought about and as it's becoming um, easier for people to imagine themselves in therapy. I can mm -hmm. go to therapy. I can um, see I, there's something going on. I should talk to someone. Yeah. As that becomes, as that grows, I know that I'm going to continue to get more um, uh, black men or men of color looking for a therapist, and then also um, for people in the gay community uh, yes. looking for someone who can identify with them in that respect as well. And I've gotten quite a few men of color, uh, black men, and gay men, and gay men of color, gay black men. You know, all those different sequences. Uh, pairings 
I've gotten quite a few over the years, and I, I'm confident that that's going to continue um, yeah. in the years to come. I would, and I would absolutely concur with that. I think there's slowly starting to be less inhibition, I would say, in the Black community and and in people of color, the BIPOC community, to be less resistant to the idea of therapy. No longer just the the idea and the notion that it's for crazy people or you know you you really got something wrong or disturbed emotionally. Mm-hmm. So I do I do I do also see that that's going to that rate of progress will continue. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I want to touch on what you said about the different types of people who seek you out, like outside, again, outside of the black community. Mm-hmm. Always say this just so people are clear. We're not a monolith, no community, no cultural enclave, if you will, is a monolith. There's always different ways, not just of how they appear, how we look, but also how we think, how we feel and the experiences that we share. So this is not to pigeonhole anybody, but there are course are commonalities that we would expect. So what, even when you mentioned, you said having some black men, some gay men, some gay black men seek you out. Like I've had that too, and I'm not a gay black man, but I will of course be there for that experience for them to be able to share, because you talked earlier, of course, about acceptance and sort of not feeling like you're being ostracized or being like an outcast. Yeah. And actually, and I, I believe I told you, following our last call, like I had a conversation with a young brother who wants to go into the field and is pursuing it. But he talked a lot about some reservations about even really wanting to subscribe to being in the black community or feeling like he ever gets embraced, feeling like he's not black enough, as you talked about before. And I certainly know I can have my own experience of how that feels being a mixed race child. Uh, coming up with different backgrounds, my mom's side being Latino and my dad's side being black. I I could understand a bit about what that might feel like. Um, not this, to say that it's the same, but the point is what you were just talking about. When we have that accessibility, then it's easier because you might find somebody who does fit those qualifications or those similar lived experiences. Again, not the same. And you're like, oh, man, I need to talk to somebody like Chief. Like, man, he's a little bit older than me. He identifies similar as me. Maybe he, maybe there's some game he can give me. Maybe there's some experiences he can share, again, as you beautifully did so far in this interview, that I could really resonate with. And maybe I can start to utilize and incorporate it in my life. And that, to me, goes back to the essence of what we're doing here, the essence of, of this platform and what we're even trying to talk about. We want to normalize those conversations, always. So those of us that are on this side of the equation, not talking about just being the provider, but many of us who have also gone through therapy ourselves and are very honest about it, we know that it's important to be able to be available to those that are very much in their journey. And especially when there's a lot more of those commonalities that we share, because it will decrease the resistance that people have to actually entertain the idea of coming to therapy. Because you're like, I'm gay, I'm black, I'm a man. He's not me, but man, he is. There's a lot of similarity. I I should definitely go talk to this guy. Or maybe they listen to something like this and they're in, you know, Las Vegas and they're in your local environment. They're like, I got to see if this guy has availability because I listened to him talking. Man, I felt the passion of what he was saying when he was describing some of the low points that he experienced. And that to me is the point. That's why, you know, we're doing this. So representation matters. That's why I asked the question. And I've also seen an increase myself 
uh, for, from mothers trying to bring their sons to just black men out there or men of color who are just going through a difficult time, not just society wise, but you know, in their personal life and just want another man to feel comfortable to be vulnerable with. And I, of course, you know, take that with the utmost uh, humbleness because, you know, it's important anytime somebody allows you to be in their vulnerable space where they're sharing things that, of course, that can be quite painful. So I'm glad that, you know, people like you and I exist. And that's another reason why we're talking together is so people can see the visibility that, yeah, we are out here. He's in Vegas. He's on the West Coast. I'm here in Florida. I'm on the East Coast. Like there's more of us out here. We are still a small number. Yeah. But hopefully, hopefully this will grow, though, right? Over time, like there'll be more men who will feel comfortable coming to the field, which is, you know, very much female dominated. Uh, and again, this is nothing against the women out there that do this work, but representation right. does matter, and it's helpful when you have people that kind of look like you can understand a little bit more about your experience. Absolutely. Now, I'm going to use that because, again, you're doing a great job here to segue talking about uh, post George Floyd summer 2020. Mm -hmm. And that experience, not just what it meant to you, but more from a mental health standpoint. And my preface would be, I noticed a lot of change in terms of my clinical practice, in terms of the amount of people who started seeking me out increased dramatically. So I'm curious for you, did you notice any significant change following that summer and really a lot of the you know murders that we might've witnessed in that vicarious trauma that we experienced? Did you notice any significant change in your practice? In my practice, specifically at that agency that I was at at the time, absolutely. I noticed the change in the increase of uh, African-American men coming in, wanting to talk about what was going on mm -hmm. um, and wanting my perspective, which was hard for me to talk about because I was struggling through that as well. Yes, sir. Um, because I, I had to talk to my therapist about that. And I don't, I don't know if my therapist remembers that, but that was difficult for me as a therapist to to experience yeah. let alone uh be able to sit there with other people and listen to their experiences uh yeah. with that and their fears because i tried to you know as a therapist i'm able to in that room separate what i am going through from right. um you know you know my, the people that i'm speaking with but in that time I was like, we are going through this together at the same time. And I had to be honest, I'm like, I, what you're experiencing right now, honestly, I am experiencing the same thing. Um, the fears of being a black man in America, uh, black man interacting with uh, authority figures, black mm -hmm. man just existing, those things that I've lived with my entire life yeah. are being thrust in my face or our faces right now during that time. Um, and I'm trying to figure out how do, how do I navigate that? Right. Let alone how to, how you navigate this. How do, how do I even navigate this? Correct. No, that's, I think that has a, a significant challenge and yeah, being present in the room, my, my, uh, my colleague, he, excuse me, he said the same thing about being able, I call it, you know, not in a positive way, I would say, because of our profession sort of dissociating in the, in the, in the room, in the session, because it's about the client. And I, and I, I agree, you know, we don't want to be obviously bringing our stuff in there. We don't want to be, you know, uh, transferring onto them, but you're right. 
that was like this very organic moment in time where we're all experiencing this in real time, uh, particularly those of us that chose to watch these these videos of these heinous, heinous acts. And I remember also having to check myself several times, you know, seeking supervision or consultation with folks just to make sure that I felt okay, like really trying to lean into my coping skills um, and, and do things that brought me some joy because it was very difficult. And I remember um, even, to, this isn't a question, but to add on to that, because we knew a lot of, we saw a lot of murders happened at that time. And I remember for me specifically, the former, uh, or not former, but he was still in the military, the army lieutenant who um, he was getting pulled over uh, late at night. And he went to the gas station because he wanted to go somewhere where it was well lit just in case he got killed yeah. in uniform. And I used to be in the military some years ago in the army. And he was, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he was also a black and Latino like me. And I immediately saw myself in him. And I really, number one, the foresight of him to, to know to put himself in a well-lit area when there was seemed like there was, according to like the video, there was very little lit areas on that street at that time. And still, um, the fact that he was in, you know, he was in uniform, you think that that's like the best protection you're going to get as a black person or a person of color. And still, the level of mistreatment um, was hard, <clears throat> excuse me, it was hard to swallow. It was hard to to watch, to deal with. But to your point about sometimes those moments are happening organically, where we're all experiencing them in real time. And I think it's important to be honest. I'm very big on being genuine and not trying to hide it and say like, no, I'm fine. You know, this is yeah. about you. Yeah. Sometimes it can help to recognize that we're having these experiences together. But of course, the focus is still on the client. But because of all those things that were happening at that time, I noticed such such a large influx of brothers and sisters who started reaching out. My son is having a difficult time. I'm having a challenging time at work. I feel like my my white colleagues don't fully understand what I might be experiencing right now, why I'm so angry. Mm -hmm. These are like some of the things they would tell me on these calls, on the consultations. Absolutely. And I would hear a lot of the same with that agency. And I specify with that agency because I was also at the time working or contracting at a medical clinic that is an incredible clinic. They have a heavy focus on the LGBTQ community and then also my private practice. And I didn't see the same kind of influx, but I think it's because that community, uh, that agency has such a huge uh, footprint with the African-American community. Gotcha. And that's where I was getting those phone calls and emails and messages and things of that nature about yeah. the people that are experiencing, what they're experiencing as they're going through this. Absolutely. Um, and then that time myself, what <laughs> going out and being part of the different uh, marches and demonstrations and things of that nature, because I felt like I have to say something. And I shared that with the clients as well. I felt like I had to say something. I felt like I had to stand up for something at that point in time, because mm -hmm. this is a, a black man and look what's happened. And, you yeah. know, you said, you said that about the, uh, the soldier, all right. One of the things you said just now that really stood out to me was that he had the foresight to to be somewhere that's well lit. And mm -hmm. I know this is not this could I don't want this to go in this direction, but 
the fact that he even has to have foresight to do that at all. Correct. I, I myself don't, I hate this because I actually would love to do this. I don't go jogging at night <laughs> because there's been issues with that. I'm like, but Hard. It just, just, you know, those have been the conversations that I've had with yeah. um, my clients over the years, the past two years. No, absolutely. And I, and no, and I think it's absolutely appropriate to mention that. And that's why that's part of the reason why I even asked that question. Because to me, and I'm also, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but I'm also a father. I have an 11 year old son. Oh, yeah. um, so I think a lot about, you know, the future and, and how it impacts the children and the, some of the challenges they have to deal with, the things that they have to see. And more importantly, to your point where you were just describing the yeah. fact that we have to have, you know, quote unquote, these talks or have to be extremely aware of our environment because of somebody, you know, misconstruing who we are, why we're there. And yeah, it, it is absolutely hurtful and absolutely painful. The same way it was hurtful to see uh, a lot of the anti-Asian sentiment, you know, a lot, you know, when the previous administration was in, in office absolutely. and the way that they were handling that, you know, like, I don't, it's not like obviously exclusive to black people. We just have been going through it for a very, very long time. And we need to acknowledge that that is the case. But we don't, of course, we are sensitive to other communities as well who have to go through that level of discrimination and, and bias and yes. ill treatment. Um, but yeah, I, I don't like that we have to talk about those things, but I do recognize that we do. And hopefully there will come a day where we don't. But for now, I recognize and I like to consider myself a, a realistic optimist or an optimistic realist, however you want to phrase it. Um, where it is necessary to have these discussions because we know that the risk is there, it is present, but we're hoping that over time, maybe it's based on the changing population, the changing demographics, or just more acceptance overall, that that doesn't have to be this consistent issue. But so far, you know, we're still in it. Um, but regardless, regardless, we, as people, I do want to say this, I think as Black people in particular, we are quite resilient in the level of adversity that many of us have had to experience in generations past. And I use that personally as momentum to keep me hopeful because of the things that I didn't have to experience that previous generations did for us. So there's things that we have to do to make it better for the ones after us, like always trying to pay it forward. Right? So with that being said, um, to kind of conclude, I'm wondering what are some of the future ambitions or goals that you have for yourself or things that you know that you still want to accomplish uh, with your life, both maybe personally and professionally? Oh my gosh, there are, <laughs> can I take out my list? Um, <laughs> oh my gosh, there are so many things that I'm so excited about. So the, the first thing, um, I applied to a scholarship recently for a program. It's a seven month program that goes into more in depth into trauma than I have ever, ever gone in before. And okay. concurrently, there are some materials that I'm reading um, so that I can learn more and more um, about generational trauma. Yes, sir. Um, I am on a mission to over educate myself about trauma and healing trauma um, in uh, communities of color, specifically yeah. because. This is, I'm a part of that community. 
I'm a part of the LGBTQ community. I want to be a part of uh, the, the healing process of trauma more than I ever have been before. Um, and I, I'm hopeful that I get the scholarship, but even if I don't, <laughs> Even if I don't, I'll figure it out. Like it's just I'm I'm excited about what I'm planning on doing as far as education um, mm -hmm. and teaching as I yeah. move forward. Um, one of the things that has been on my mind is going back to school for my PhD, and uh, one of the only things that's holding me back. My brain doesn't do well with math and you know those kinds of things <laughs> and. I, I looked at I looked at the uh, I know the school that I want to go to specifically, and I know um, it, it for specific reasons. And it's just I looked at the courses, and there's three statistics classes, and I was like, oh, oh yeah, you, oh. You, you get, you, you're gonna get your fair share. I'll just jump in real quick and say I was in a doctorate program um, a couple of years ago. I just I did a semester, but I remember there's a lot of when you get at that level. The technical, the technical language and the reading is very intense compared to anything I've ever had to do. So you definitely have to be ready for that, uh, no matter what type of doctor you go for. Oh my gosh. Uh, but um, the one that I'm looking forward to is uh, counseling, education, and supervision. And yeah, I that, hadn't... That, that's, that's a natural fit for us. Absolutely. Right, so we can um, teach. I had the opportunity actually recently to do a little bit of teaching as far as uh, I, I specialize, I don't know if I mentioned this at all, but I specialize, I'm certified in EMDR. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing for your viewers. And I, so I'm certified in that and I'm also a trainer. Um, I don't have any trainees under me right now, but I had the opportunity to share with someone, um, a fellow uh, EMDR trained individual. And from the beginning of what EMDR looks like to the end of the uh, eight phases, I had the opportunity to teach uh, this clinician about this process. And I was, mm -hmm. as I was talking, I was like, I love this. I somehow I forgot that I love to teach. I love teaching. So that yeah. is a huge part of the plans that I want going forward. I Excellent. want to teach. Um, and if I can, if I can be in somebody's classroom teaching about uh, trauma and its effect on the body, I'm presenting to a hospital next week. I cannot wait. Um, and so just teaching is a huge part of my future plans on the um, professional side. Yeah. Um, I'm planning on doing, I have different things to grow uh, my business, different things going on right now to help grow the business and help get that reach out there. I've been right, looking right. I've been looking at coaching because right now I'm restricted to Nevada, right? Um, and soon I'll be it'll be Nevada and Arizona, but that'll that'll take a minute. Uh, but as far as coaching is concerned, that can be worldwide. So sure. that's something that I'm looking forward to um, looking into more. Um, and then personally, um, I I just started. This makes me smile so big. I just found a gym that allows me to do boxing. And I'm, okay. I'm nobody, don't give me a mistake. I'm nobody's boxer. I'm nobody's whatever. Hey, you, I, you, you're in Vegas. We need to go trade with uh, Floyd Medweather Jr. So he actually, he actually has two gyms out here. I don't do that one. Um, the gym that I am a part of now is awesome. It's way, way smaller. There are only two of them here, both on the opposite sides of town, of course. And they are, I just, I feel 
like I get this huge release and it is it is fun and it yeah. is my whole body even as I see here right now so I'm squirming my whole body hurts right now because I'm like when I go in there I put those wraps on and put the gloves on just it's great so maintaining my health is yes, another sir. huge aspect for me and then personally more personally just growing my uh, relationship with my partner um, we are uh, very happy and it is a great thing uh, so far and we're looking forward to maintaining it like that uh, and making some plans for the future so it's it's yes. really exciting the yes. the future the future is bright that's see and that's what we want to hear i, I want to hit on the last thing you said first because you're basically describing self-care which i'm always a proponent of yeah. both i would say well two things i always link these together so another second psa uh boundaries as a professional because we can take on so many things i think so much of us are naturally helpers and we're helping in clients so we want to be there for everybody who's going through different experiences but we have to remember that self-care is a must so i must have a good boundary to make sure i allocate enough time to actually take care of myself to actually invest in myself and maintain the things that are important to me like chief's talking about boxing times with your partner to maintain that relationship and being consistent so i would think that those are important right now back to the other point you were mentioning when you're thinking about the future with teaching I always find that one interesting because number one, like we do that in our clinical practice with a client, right? There's certain mm -hmm. things like we're teaching and also that they're teaching us. Mm -hmm. But you talked about being able to teach you know, like at the, I would say more or less, it seems like at the university level, right? If you're going to go get your doctorate, uh, I, I would imagine. Yeah. And again, even whether we're talking about in the profession or if we're talking about from a higher ed standpoint, we're still a giant minority yeah. and minorities within the minorities. So of course we need more brothers like you who would go into the field. And it's interesting. You said when you were talking about it, you reminded me of my, my peer, because when we, when we did his interview and we were talking about it, that's precisely what he was saying, adding to the body of knowledge, but being done from a, from a more uh, multicultural perspective, particularly from a black perspective, and a male perspective in the field, because we, that's not often represented in the literature when we, you know, when we're going through school or when you're doing the research and he's very inclined in doing that type of stuff. So hearing you say that, I'm like, good, there's more, you know, there's two people at least who are going to be contributing in that way, which will certainly impact future generations of therapists and counselors who are trained in this country. So that's good, of course. And I, I also, when you said that I've had, some aspiration to do that. My only difference, the only thing I will say for me is that I felt like I needed to get a lot of life experience mm -hmm. and then I wanna go teach because I remember some of my professors in school, the ones I resonated with the most were the ones that brought in so many personal examples of personal in terms of what things they've gone through and also their time working with clients. And it just helps make things hit easier, whether it's talking about theories, interventions, diagnosing, things like that. I feel like it just it makes it flow a lot easier and the, the concepts are so much easier to grasp. But either way, we know that we need more representation in those fields as well, uh, particularly when it comes to mental health. So it's good to hear that you have similar goals, uh, like I said, like my peer, because maybe we'll see you guys in the future, you know, on the conferences or on different media platforms, you know, things like that, promoting different 
ideas and, and research that you've been conducting. So I'm very I, happy to hear that. I, I would absolutely love that, right? I love, and I just, I miss this feeling and speaking with that clinician recently just reminded me of it because I guess I just haven't done it in so long, but being able to look out and share what I know with mm -hmm. where I am right now, what I've learned, like you said, personally and what I've learned um, on the educational side with someone and just seeing seeing the, the, the what do they call it, the, the neurons firing and all that. Yeah. Just seeing the wheels turning and them running <laughs> and putting the pieces together for themselves so that they can then take what I've said, take what they've learned and their experiences and go and teach others so that yes. more and more are learning and becoming educated on these topics. That is so exciting. That is 100%. so exciting. I can't 100%. wait to teach more. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I think if you come in with that level of passion that you're exhibiting and displaying right now, like you're <laughs> The students are going to be very pleased because, you know, like it's just like to me, it's like any other profession. You know, you, you can tell when people are sort of tapped out, you know, they're, maybe they're mentally, emotionally exhausted. And the ones that are really about it, like you, you feel their energy. It can be infectious. Yeah. And again, like the work that we're talking about, we know that it's going to take a lot of professionals and a lot of time to really touch these communities the way we're talking about and really impact them in positive ways. So the more people like yourself that want to do the work, then of course we want to encourage that, support that in any way that we can. And again, I'm, I'm grateful for you, man, just being here and just really honoring us and blessing us by telling your story, because I think that it's going to make it so much easier maybe for somebody else who might watch or listen to this and recognize that, hey, you know, maybe I'm in that darker place. Maybe I was at like a lower point that Chief described and man, look at him. Not only look at where he's at now, but listen to what he just said about his future and how excited he was. Like, I want to be able to say that. I want to be able to see a light through this darkness. And I think that being able to hear these stories makes it very powerful to be able to touch those people. So I really yeah. appreciate you for, for taking the time. In, and I hope that this has been something that maybe you found some value in as well, being able to, I'm sure, impact a lot of folks that you probably will not be aware of. I, I hope that it does. And, you know, if I could leave your viewers and listeners with one thing, um, on the back of my business card, I put something that is very personal to me and has been for so many years. Um, and it's a quote from Cicero, while there's life, there's hope. Um, and I truly, truly believe that while there is breath in my lungs, there is hope for a better tomorrow. That's, that's something that I hold on to. And I, I hope that I can pass that along to anyone who listens. Yes, I think you I think you have done more than your sufficient job to help inspire some hope within us. So again, thank you for for making the time and and I'm sure if there's an opportunity to connect in the future, talk about some of the new things that maybe you got going on, would definitely love to have you back. Maybe even collaborate, maybe I can get a few of you all uh at the same time, get get some some panel discussions going on, but I I, I I I appreciate you making the effort, man. So Thank you again, and we will uh, go ahead and call that a wrap. Thank you so much for your time.